You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. This morning, we want to look at that, look at the body of Christ and that unity and our gifts and our ability to, to be transformed by the gospel, but go with the gospel. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. I know walking through this devoted series, we've looked at Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 in great detail. We've looked at their mission, uh, as Joe, Pastor Joe shared last week, and their calling to live this intentional and missional living together as the church to represent Christ well. We've looked at the, our giving cheerfully. We've looked into the apostles' teaching and being devoted to all these different elements that make up the church. Uh, but this morning, I would like to look at unity and gifts. I want to be in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. We're just going to walk through that together. I've got quite a bit to share. Uh, so I want you to just hang in there and hold on. And I'm excited about this. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. The main idea of our passage this morning is Paul is encouraging the Ephesians church here as he is in prison to uphold unity, to make, make unity a priority, to practice their gifts given by the grace of God, but also to mature in their likeness of Christ. We're going to look at this passage in three different sections. Starting in chapter 4, 1 through 6, we're going to see a devoted church that is unified. Paul's going to challenge there, and we'll answer the question is, how are we unified? The second part, we're going to look at a devoted church that is spiritually diverse in our giftings and what we do, but we also ask that question, how are we spiritually diverse? Very simple. But the third thing is a devoted church is spiritually mature. This is important for us to look at as we answer the question is, what does spiritual maturity look like? This is going to involve our Christ-likeness our doctrinal stability, our truth joined with love, and our contribution with our gifts to amongst, amongst the believers and amongst the bodies to edify the church and exalt Christ. So we're going to start with reading our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. It reads, I therefore, this is Paul speaking to the church of Ephesians, says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and all in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into a lower regions, the earth? He who has descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature in our manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into Him who is head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part 
is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's where we're going to be for the majority of our time today. As we look at verse 1, it says, Therefore, a prisoner of a prisoner for the Lord. This clearly reminds us of Paul's imprisonment. He's in prison. His imprisonment is important to us because we see a man who was devoted to the sake of the gospel. He is in prison because he preached Christ. His suffering is in this confinement allows his thoughts and allows his speaking to carry weight. He's living this out. He has found himself in confinement because of his devotion to the gospel. He is telling them, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Not because of the Lord, but for the Lord. My life is devoted to the Lord and Jesus Christ. In verse, that second part of that verse says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul's appeal to the church here is a call to action. He urges, this word urge, to wish, to crave, for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which we have been called. This word calling. Look at Ephesians. Back up with me to Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 10, as I bring more clarity to this word calling. Ephesians 1, 4 through 10. Let's start with verse 3. Let's back it up. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption. Good news, church. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, making known to us, giving to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Walk in a manner that is worthy of in this calling to which you have been called. This manner we are called to is brought on through adoption. Looked upon us and calls us sons and daughters in this manner that we are called to reflects holiness. It reflects a pursuit of holiness. And in this pursuit, we will grow in unity. Look at verses 2 and 3. It's Paul elaborates. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We walk in this manner that we're called to as adopted sons and daughters. And there's two truths that I'd like to point out here. First is humility. Humility was frowned upon in that day. As the pagans believed and they took pride. They, they believed that pride was highly respected. That's not too far from the culture today. If you learn cultures outside of the United States, and we've learned from our China team that they take pride in their bloodline. But here we see Paul saying, be humble 
walk in humility. This is again counterculture. But then we read after humility the words gentleness, patience, and love. We start to hear these descriptions of who? Jesus Christ. Our Savior. The one we model. The very same characteristics. Paul's call to action is clear. Live a life in a manner which reflects Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to, church. We are called to live this life, but also to be eager in our maintaining unity. Eager takes practice. Peace is a condition of reconciliation and love. Think about it. To keep peace, you first must make peace. Making peace is a product of reconciling two differences. Working through that together in love. But Christ, peace is used as a bond to unite all believers. And this peace did not come from our own doing. It came from Jesus Christ making it possible. Therefore, we are to preserve this unity already established in us by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's there. The Spirit of Christ wants to work in us to reconcile our differences. Not just between believers, but Look in your life personally. Is there some things some in different ways? Now, please understand, I'm not asking you to forsake truth. We stand up for the Word of God. We're getting into a culture, when you see it throughout social media, all the different definitions, all the different explanations, all the different voices are out there. We stand for truth. But we also do it in love. By the blood of Christ. Andrew Murray, if you're looking for a book to read, it's a very quick read. Humility, wonderful book by Andrew Murray. Real quick, you probably finish in a couple hours or an hour. If you're like me, it's a day. You look it at and you read through it and it talks about that pride must die in us. Pride must die in us or nothing of heaven, nothing of heaven can live in us. Humility is such an important factor in living out this manner and living out this holy life. So we have to ask the question, does your life reflect that of a living and holy God? Church, does it? When a person examines your life, when a person looks at my life, does he see Casey, does he see a man or a woman set apart by knowledge of the truth and action and love? We are to be set apart, but unfortunately we live in a day where it is hard to determine whether or not a person is a devoted follower of Christ. We have been churched, is what I like to say, in this culture. Many of you sitting in this room know how to do church. We have been ingrained in us, and some of us have been manipulated. We do not know how to seek truth for our own understanding by the Spirit of Christ and the revelation of the Word in us. But we need to get back to the basics because living in this culture that's been church, we've got to be cautious because of being deceived. I'm led to believe that Paul was very, dealing with very similar circumstances. And as he reached out to this church, he makes it very clear in verses 4-6 through six that there is one church, there is one body, there is one spirit, one hope that we all belong to, which is our call under the authority of God. God the Father, the great Father that we call on this Father's Day. He is good. So we look at verse 4 and 6. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all. 
There are seven one references in here. One body, one spirit, one hope, Lord, faith, baptism, and God the Father. I want to look at these real quick as it says one body. Paul continues his plea of unity amongst the church. One body. This is the church that we spoke of a couple weeks back. This is you and I, the bride of Christ. The body of Christ. Therefore, Christ is the head. Everybody needs a head. Colossians 1.18 And He, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. This is our Jesus. This is the One who governs us and leads us and we are under His Lordship. He loves us and cares for us and tends to us. We have one body as you and I, church, but then there's one Spirit, just as you and I have one Spirit that brings to life in us, our souls, the body of the church has this Spirit as well and it's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ. We cannot neglect the Holy Spirit. It is of God, fully divine. Our article of belief says here that He has inspired holy men Holy men of old to write the Scriptures. Through illumination, He enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and effects the regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, He baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. The one body. He cultivates Christian character. He comforts believers. And He bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through His church. And He seals the believer into the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is a guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and He empowers the believer in the church and worship, evangelism, in service. The Holy Spirit is our agent here on earth. He works in us, church. We cannot neglect, cannot neglect this. It is crucial in our working together properly to see the body grow. Then we look at this one hope. What is this hope that Jesus, that Paul, excuse me, is writing about? This hope is a, is a place where orphans find family. This hope is a place we visit in uncertainty. This hope is a place we rest when we're weary. This hope is a place when all we want to do is be made whole again. We want everything right. This is hope for us. Even though each of us have these personal, individual hopes, you and I, church, sit under a singular hope. That is to be and to sit and one day enjoy God forever. I won't care about any of you about God. It is about Him and His glory. In this singular hope that we have, there's no more cancer, there's no more debt, there's no more pain, there's no more uncertainty, and there's no more darkness. But until then, church, we have a responsibility to express this hope to which we belong to and call to, and our expression of this hope will demonstrate our unity as a church and our unity with Jesus Christ. This Father's Day, you walk with a hope. A hope that many people in this world do not walk with. You can look into their eyes and into their lives and say they're dark. My challenge to you, church, is to represent hope well. Do you live in this victory? Do you live 
in this hope, when you're, to be quite frank, battling the everyday life, are you able to look to hope and know one day this world's going to be finished, but until then I persevere. I race. I finish this race. Finish the race. Sitting with a brother at dinner Wednesday night, and we talked about that. People aren't finishing the race. This race that we're called to, as Paul often speaks about. Remember, finish well. Then we're called to one Lord, and this is referring to Jesus Christ. Christ is the eternal Son of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon Himself human nature with all its demands and necessities and identifying Himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by His personal obedience and His substitutionary death on the cross. He made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to His disciples as a person who was with them before His resurrection. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God where He is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, and whose person is a is affected with the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate His redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as a living and ever-present Lord. That's our Lord. That's Jesus. That's what we believe here. As we continue to work through these seven ones, we have one faith. This one faith that Paul is mentioning is that it's referring to our doctrinal truth. Our faith is established by and devoted to a triune God. We see this in these passages. One Spirit, one Lord, one God the Father. This confession is made public by baptism. Our one baptism. A public baptism is a result of our regenerate heart and an outward sign of an inward revelation. You see it unfolding here. The life of a devoted follower of Christ. And then there he goes to there's one God, God the Father. There's one and only one living true God. He is intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. The creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in His holiness and all other perfection. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and His perfect knowledge extends to all things. Past, present, and future. Including the future decisions of His free creatures. To Him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. God specifically is a Father. He reigns in our lives providentially, caring for His universe, His creatures, and the flow of this stream of human history according to the purpose of His grace. Once again, God the Father is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is one God, in verse 6, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and all. God is omnipresent. He is universal. He is ever-presence. And through the church, as we gather in different congregations across the globe, it is still looked upon as one body. And we all function together. Though there are people gathering a half a mile from here, we are all under the head of Jesus Christ. Paul describes a devoted church as being unified. In verse 1 of chapter 4, our unity derives from a divine calling. You've got to be there. 
You are not unified with the church if you have not heard and responded to this divine calling. Do not be deceived. And secondly, in four, chapter 4, 2-3, through three, our unity grows in our Christ-like manner. As we grow in humility and walk, we grow to be more like Christ. And third, the answer to our question is, what does this unity look like? Our unity originates from our confession of the one, one true Gospel. Got to understand truth and understand the Gospel. The part in verse 4, 7-10, through 10, as we look at this, a devoted church is, a, is spiritually diverse. Spiritually diverse, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts in verse 7. This grace Paul speaks of is the gracious gifts given by Christ to serve His church. He ascended and He gave gifts to men. We call these gifts spiritual gifts. These gifts are used to grow the church and exalt Christ. The ultimate gift of grace is our salvation as we learned in Ephesians chapter 1. It trumps all spiritual gifts and makes it possible for spiritual gifts to even reside. But as we look at verse 8, he says, Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Paul's referring back here to Psalm 68, 18. He makes it very clear that these gifts were given to men left on earth. Therefore these men left on earth were to edify the church and grow the church. Before we get into those specific gifts that were given, look at verse 9. He says, in saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that He might fill all things. Paul is basically stating a question here. If Jesus ascended, if He ascended, that means He had to ascend from somewhere. That someone, that somewhere is here on earth. He ascended from here on earth. We celebrate that during Easter. Christ ascended from the highest heavens to the lowest regions. What do we see here? Once again, the example by which you and I are to walk our manner. Christ left the heavenly places to come to the lower region here on earth because this pivotal church, this truth, displayed humility. Once again, our Savior living it out before us. Not only do we see humility, but we see a Savior who desired peace on earth. And as He walked with His disciples, He walked with them with gentleness and patience. Jesus came to this earth, suffered and died, buried. But the good news is that He defeated death. Rose again and ascended above all the heavens. In verse 10, Christ he says, He who descended is the one who also ascends far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. What a picture of Christ being supreme. This is who we serve. This is who we love. This is who we represent. With His power and sovereign right, He allotted gifts to His people. So what gifts did He give to the early church here? In verse 11, it clearly states, and He gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists. He gave the shepherds. 
He gave the teachers. And why did He give these? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. It's important to see why the gifts were distributed. First, for the building up of the body of Christ. Very simple there. And by doing this, by building up the body of Christ, Christ is exalted. And these gifts, giving, these giving of the gifts helped grow the church. And each Christian, you and I, have this gracious ability, this gift, to be able to minister to the church. At this point in time, Jesus gave very specific gifts to men in the church so that we could see Acts chapter 2 come alive. Some of those were teachers, evangelists, shepherds, prophets, and apostles. But later on in 1 Peter chapter 4.10, as each, he says, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As a church family, you and I, let's get very practical here. Have a gift that God has given us to bring to the table. A spiritual gift. We are to exercise this gift very simply to edify the church and exalt Christ. It's as if we're playing this ball game and you need to get off the bench and get involved. I can't tell you how that looks or what gift you have. Only God the Father, by His Spirit, His Word, can you have my knowledge and understanding of how He's equipped you. That comes from communion with the Father. Praying diligently. Asking in mercy, God, what have You given me to grow Your church? So you have to ask the question, are you a part of God's will, His plan? Are you using your gift to grow His church? Many of us will find ourselves as encouragers, servers, teachers, shepherds. The list goes on, and I wish I had time, maybe next week I will, just to dive into what each one looks like. There's resources out there so that Come ask me if you have any questions. There's actual tests out there. But my encouragement to you, as we're challenged by Paul's text, is simply this. Go before a holy God. Examine your life. Exercise your gift to exalt Christ. The byproduct is the church will be encouraged. The church will grow. I'm not speaking growing in numerically, even though those who have this gift of evangelism You'll see that very evident in your life. But we all have this responsibility. Paul reminds the church in Ephesians that being spiritual diverse is a mark of a healthy church. You can't look and say, I want what Casey has. Casey's Casey. I can't look at my wife and say, I want what she has. My wife, Melissa, is Melissa. God has uniquely designed her to do the work of the, of the gospel in her life to others. So we're so quick to look at the life of someone else and see the fruit in their life and desire that. I'm not opposed to you desiring the fruit of the work of the Spirit of Christ, but I am opposed to you wanting to be just to be them 
in the exercise like they're doing. We're not cookie cutters here. We're not cut out. We are under one umbrella of hope, unified. But we are, we, we are all not, there's arms, there's legs. We've used that body description very clearly in the Bible. We've got to have all of these functioning to work properly. So, are you exercising your gift to grow the church? In verses 7-10, through 10, Paul describes the different gifts that make up the church, that began the church. In 11-12, through 12, he begins to speak about the stewarding of these gifts. So we must return to communion with the Father and ask Him to reveal these to you. Reveal what these gifts in your life are. Spiritual gifts. But then there's natural talent as well. Some of you are born natural and knitted in your mother's womb to be creative. I am not Winston's bowler. I cannot do what Winston does. But Winston has a responsibility to steward his natural talent that God has given. I have the natural ability to steward the natural talent God has given me, accompanied by the spiritual gifts God has given me. All this working together properly, you will see the church grow and be But how often have we looked into the churches today and in the congregation and we see divisiveness, division. We see indifference. Because we look at the other party and say, they should be like me. Or they should do it my way because we've been on this way always. I am a creative guy. I'm a creative engine guy. And if you take that and suppress that creativity, we begin to suffocate and die out. You've got to understand that you are uniquely made and designed to exalt Christ and grow His church. That ball is in your court to take this question and wrestle through it. But as we close in verse 13, it says, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine human cunning, and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let's stop there. When we read these last two verses, we see the results of what happens when spiritual gifts are exercised in the body. In verse 13, we grow in Christ's likeness. We are to attain this in this unity of faith, and we are to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. That is a, we've got to understand that. That is important. That is crucial. This knowledge of understanding comes from a revelation of the Spirit of Christ by reading the Word of God and renewing our minds and regenerating our heart and changing it and growing in our sanctification. But we grow. As we grow, we grow into our doctrinal stability so that we can defend truth. We've said it before and we'll say it again. Anyone that steps foot in this pulpit, you must test it. You must challenge it. You must be concerned with it. You must apply it. Humans get in this pulpit, hopefully and prayerfully inspired by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. But you still have the responsibility to grow in the knowledge of the Son. In order to grow in knowledge and truth, it must be truth. So test it. Very clearly. And as you grow in that doctrinal stability, you're going to find confidence. This confidence of who you represent. You're not going to wonder 
You're not going to wonder. You're going to know. And when you know, you have direction. And you represent well. And you finish the race well. So we've got to yield caution of these faulty, self-helping teaching. In many ways, this teaching is false, self-centered, and enables consumerism. You've got to be cautious of that. It's being taught throughout the globe, not just the American church. The American church has taken it to the globe, unfortunately. We have to preach the gospel and know when the gospel is being preached and understand it. And the third one there in verse 4, 15 through 16, let's read that together. 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, important here, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are to grow together in speaking truth in love. Please, I urge you, do not forsake truth because you don't want to get your feelings hurt or someone else to get their feelings hurt. That is not loving. That is enabling. It is a dangerous place to be. Speak the truth in love, but you cannot speak this truth in love if you do not have doctrinal stability from growing in your likeness of Christ. It all comes together. And then, verse 16, it says this part in working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole body joined and held together by Jesus Christ, under Jesus Christ, by every joint with which it is equipped. We grow when the body contributes together. When you contribute to the body, we grow naturally. So, the whole devoted series has been geared to this truth. Looking at the church and seeing how it is geared and how it is designed to work properly. So as, so as we close our time together, let's look at Paul's letter and apply it to who we are and where we are. Three simple questions. Do we, as a faith family, display to the community a unified body? Secondly, do we as a faith family and church show spiritual diversity? Do we see the uniqueness of the church moving and growing and doing their part individually? Third, do we as a faith family parade spiritual maturity? When they look at the believers and the members of the Oak Church, do they see mature, devoted, passionate, those in pursuit of holiness believers? None of this, none of this can come to fruition unless we ask those questions individually. Unity, spiritual diversity, and maturity will give birth from our communion with the Great Father. We can try as hard as we want to make these come to life and to work properly together 
but it will naturally form as the body is naturally built and designed. If we look to the head and we go where the head's taking us, we do that by communion and prayer, all that we've learned the last six weeks.